Welcome back. Eric Hattie, Everyday Hustle. I hope you guys enjoyed the the last episode, episode 13B. Um, new format, got some feedback. Uh, probably try that a, a couple more times. Uh, so uh, those of you who were giving so much feedback, um, congratulations, you volunteered yourselves to submit some topic recommendations as well because I am blowing through them really quick if I'm doing three an episode. Um, so yeah, what a week. Um, I hope everybody's uh, staying safe out there, fighting the fight for whatever it is you believe in. Um, I, uh, I cannot say enough about the, the episode that, uh, uh, you're here to watch today. Um, it's a very, very special episode. It's, it's, uh, my dad, it's a father's day special and, uh, it's, it's a long one, um, which I think you guys are probably used to by now with, uh, my, my interview episodes, we, we tend to go for a long period of time. So uh, for those of you, Chris Markle, who are complaining about the length, uh, I highly recommend if you're watching on YouTube, you go to one and a half or two X speed. Uh, and on, on podcasts, I, I don't listen to anything that's not at least one and a half speed on, on podcasts. So, uh, congratulations. Now it's only an hour and a half or an hour, depending on the speed you choose. So you're welcome, Chris Markle. Also miss you buddy and mazel on the, the kid on the way. Um, so yeah, this is a, this is a cool episode for, for a couple of reasons. One, uh, it's my dad Two, I, I learned things and I heard stories from my dad that in 30 some odd years, almost 35 years, I had never heard before, or I didn't know the entire story. Um, and it, it was just really cool. Um, it was, uh, it was kind of funny because, uh, you'll notice in the first 10 or 20 minutes, he's, he's not really warming up. Uh, and all of a sudden, you know, we go from talking about me and being his son to his new wine chiller that he's building. And all of a sudden he, he perks up and he, he sits forward and he starts getting all excited. And I was like, all right, all right. I see how it is. Uh, but as, as the episode goes on, he, uh, he, he really, really hit his stride and, and told some cool stories and gave some, some neat insight. So, um, but so you guys understand the man who, who raised me, um, the other night before we recorded the episode, I, I text him and mind you, I text him at like, I don't know, <laughs> noon one I was like, Hey, we're still, we're still good to record tonight. Right. And, uh, first he takes like six hours to reply. Uh, and when he does reply, uh, he says, uh, hold on, let's see here. Uh, he says, yep, still waiting for a submittal of questions for review. And I said, LOL, topics will cover your rise to leadership, patents you're named on, starting your consulting business, being my dad, projects we did together. It's just loose conversation, dad. I'll steer you in and out of the, the uh, topics, but it's less formal than a Q&A. And my dad's response is, wow, it's going to be a really short interview. One, screwed my way to the top. Two, scammed my way onto patents I had nothing to do with. Three, my consulting business is just a cover for a drug business. Four, we've never proven that I'm actually your father. Five, what projects did you you help me with? LOL. My dad, everybody. So, uh, <laughs> and, and for those of you who know me outside of this podcast, um, I have very much the same sense of humor. Uh, I have the same everything. I, I swore when I was a teenager, I said, I'm never going to fucking be like you. 
And here I am with the same, same career, the same temper, the same passion for cars, the same stupid, corny dad jokes, literally everything. Uh, so touche genetics, touche. Um, so yeah, I, again, it's a long episode. I, uh, I promise you're going to enjoy it. Um, he's, he's just a fascinating guy and I'm biased. He's my dad and I, I fucking love the guy, but he's done some cool shit. He came from nothing. He made something of himself. He did lots of cool shit, has lots of cool stories. Um, and, and I admire the shit out of him. So without further ado, my dad, David Hattie. when I pull it forward. It actually made a significant difference over here. You can't see anything awkward on the shelf behind me, can you? I tried to get rid of all the shit that was in plain view. No. Nope. There's a bunch of shit. It's just hidden by my body. <laughs> <laughs> it's smart. It's the way I used to clean my room. I remember that. <laughs> so, hi, Dad. Hey, bud. Tell tell the internet who you are. <laughs> so you don't want the normal, do you? No, I I don't know what's 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 the normal. I'm David Fucking Hattie. Wow. Yeah. Well, we do have we have an explicit rating on on the Apple Podcast Store, so we're we're good there. Fuck damn. Or shit, you could bitch. just push the start over button, and we could start over since we've just been sitting here shooting the shit for half an hour. No. Well, less than ten minutes. <laughs> so you want to start it over? Let's start it over. Okay, but you're going to be really disappointed when I didn't cut any of this out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm your dad, asshole. That's that's true. That's true. I'm going to I'm going to gently remind you that typically I do share these on on LinkedIn as well. Uh Oh jeez. <laughs> okay, now that's now we need to start over. <laughs> or we need to cut it off right here. I didn't realize that you shared these. I don't think I've seen them on LinkedIn. I I follow you on LinkedIn. Okay, that A that really hurts my feelings. Uh B I was trending on LinkedIn for hashtag podcast two weeks in a row. Uh, are you pulling up LinkedIn right now? I am. You sneaky, sneaky motherfucker. I, I was wondering why you don't like any of my stuff on LinkedIn. I didn't know if it was like you didn't want to put off that nepotism vibe of like, oh, I don't want to be the guy that's propping his That's kid a up. big chunk of it, yeah. Oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah, I don't know that. That shit hurts, Dad. So I saw Ryan put his beard on the chopping block. Yep. Shout out Ryan Cook. And I saw your uh, your 
mission posts yeah. and your beard on the chopping block, I saw, I really enjoyed your picture of you having a board meeting all by yourself. <laughs> I saw all those things, but I have not seen your podcast on LinkedIn. So I guess if you're going to put this on LinkedIn, I have to get serious and, and start over with. No. No. My name is so, David Hattie, and I'm Eric's father. <laughs> okay, so first off, it's 2020, and authenticity is gold. So everyone just needs to know that you're a stubborn asshole. So, I mean, you're you're good. Why wouldn't I be stubborn? I'm always right. <laughs> that's Actually, that's not physically possible because I'm always right. Uh, and, my and, experience is you're getting closer and closer to me, but you haven't caught up yet. But I, I waited 30 some odd years to say I'm right because I'm the fucking dad. <laughs> and how does your little one react when you say that? Yeah, she doesn't give a shit. <laughs> Neither did you 30 years ago. <laughs> asshole. No, that's fair. That's fair. So, um, Pop quiz, what okay. is the name of my podcast? The Everyday Hustle. Hey, all right. We retained. All right. Have Have you watched any of the episodes? Uh, I watched the one with your mom in it, and I've watched big chunks of the one with Kyle in it, but my attention span is simply not long enough to go through a 17-hour podcast <laughs> hey, with look. Kyle. <laughs> Yeah, it, it wasn't even two hours. I think it was like an hour and 53. So here's what we're going to do. As you lose attention in this interview, I'm going to say, oh, hey, look right here, right here. You got it. You got it. And we're back. So, so. Okay. <laughs> so tell, tell the world who you are beyond the fact that you're my dad. Oh, well. I started out life as a uh, engineer, actually an engineer twice over. And I pretty quickly figured out in my career that uh, although I was good at engineering, I was better at working with people and with customers and with system level concepts and uh, had a very blessed career where I've been able to work in just about every aspect of the business and build myself up to the point of, uh, having three degrees and having been a CEO and uh, Robin and I just celebrated our 40th anniversary and Mazel. have raised one really great kid Thank and you. Eric. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I worried all while you were growing up that we were hurting you by making you nomads because we moved a lot. It's true. And, uh, but as it turns out, you both turned out quite fine and you're both comfortable in your own skins wherever you are. And I'm very happy with that and proud of you both. And, uh, but we moved all over and we uh, somehow ended up in Minnesota and I couldn't get your mother out of Minnesota for 14 freaking cold years. Um, so I, uh, I commuted out of Minnesota to all kinds of places all over uh, the U.S. and Canada. And when that wrapped up, we uh, ended up getting an opportunity in Houston, Texas. And that's where I'm sitting now. I wrapped up the uh, very active part of my career here in Houston. Now I'm a consultant helping friends and businesses build and grow and develop and having a lot of fun at it. 
and relaxing a little more than I used to. Nice. So, uh, hobbies, what do you do? Well, I drink. (laughs) You drink a lot of wine. (laughs) And I know things. (laughs) But I, uh, I like to work with my hands. So I haven't got a workshop right now where I can restore old cars or old motorcycles, but for, um, Oh heck, most of the last 20 years, I've, I've had a shop with restorations in progress on multiple vintage bikes and vintage cars. And, um, I'm pretty good with woodworking, um, better with rough woodworking than with fine uh, finished woodworking and very good with electronics. So I just like to play with my hands and mess around with technology and, and old antique crap and make old stuff work again. So in, in your heyday, when, when you had your workshop and you were in Minnesota, what, what was your full tilt of cars and motorcycles? How many did, what was the most you had at one time? So the most, the most we had at one time on the, um, collector policy. So we had a separate collector car insurance policy with Haggerty. The most we had there was 23. (laughs) And that was, uh, um, I think it was split pretty evenly between cars and motorcycles. I think there was one or two more motorcycles than there were cars. But uh, as you'll recall, we had a mess of uh, 60s vintage Hondas, uh, both the small mopeds and 90cc bikes and the the bigger 250s and 305s. Um, I've always had a couple of British bikes in the the stable. The Beezers. And uh, BSAs, exactly. Um, in fact, right now, the two BSAs I've got right now, uh, both have a uh, 50 year history with me. So I, uh, dad bought the, um, 650 I've got brand new in 1971. And the guy I worked for bought the 500 I've got the same year. And I bought it from him, uh, two or three years later. And, uh, then I bought the. 650 from dad and 86. Yep. And I've had them both. I've restored them both at this point. So it's, it's funny because, um, you, you have my entire life tried to instill your hobbies on me. Um, and you know, as any, any kid, uh, you know, definitely in my pre-teenage years and, and a little bit in my teenage years, I didn't give a shit. Uh, and you were constantly trying to teach me things and, and my stupid ass would, would either not pay attention or didn't care or whatever. And now I'm so desperately trying to pick up all of these things because they now interest me. Now you wish you paid yeah. attention, don't you? <laughs> so I think, uh, oh shit, I was maybe 10 years old. We were living in Virginia and for a birthday, you bought me a kit to build my own AM FM radio which it was just a blank circuit board and all of the, 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 you know, components and, and, uh, and an instruction book. And, um, you know, to, to humor you, I, I put it together, but it did, I will say it did kind of pique my curiosity because if I remember right, then I bought a video modulator kit to wirelessly modulate video. Um, and, and it did transpose into my love for, car audio and, and car electronics in, in high school. And 
what pisses me off is even then, like you, you were so fucking stoked that I was, I was interested in something that you could actually teach, you know, cause there was Ohm's law and all these other things that went into car audio and you're, 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 it were, I, we were wiring the, the very first subwoofers I had, they, they were the two silver pioneer subs. And you're, you're trying to teach me about Ohm's law. And I was like, I don't give a shit. Just let's hook it up. Let's go. Let's go. I want to go boom, boom, boom. <laughs> and now I, it's funny. I've used Ohm's law probably shit, 20, 30 times in my adult life. <laughs> so, yep. And it applies to most everything. That's true. But my, my best memories of those projects weren't the electronics. I mean, yeah, it did stoke me that you wanted to mess with electronics, but what really stoked me is what we did to the insides of those vehicles. That's true. I mean, particularly the, uh, well, the Explorer, we did a fair amount of the Explorer, but when you got the F-150 and we ripped everything out of that and built the console that went all the way from the dashboard to the back window, this, that was pretty cool. That I, I, I do truly appreciate the engineer in you, uh, especially the Dave Hattie engineer in you that wants to go above and beyond. Uh, you know, I think about that F-150 project um, all the time. I should have spent studying for finals my freshman first semester of college. I was sitting in my dorm with modeling clay, making a, a model replica of the console I wanted to build in the truck. And I, I came home that Christmas and I looked at you and you're like, how was school? And I was like, don't worry about that. I want to build this. And you sat down and we did, and we did, you sat down in AutoCAD and you, you designed it all out and you, where, where you become the engineer of all engineers is not only did you design it in AutoCAD and figure out the exact dimensions, but then you had AutoCAD put it all onto a four by eight sheet of wood so that you knew exactly how much wood we needed without any waste whatsoever. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we bought uh, captain's chairs out of a Harley Davidson edition F-150. We built the console. That thing when we were done had what? Three or four TVs in it, had a PlayStation, had a full, you know, 13 or 14 speaker sound system because even had a center channel. I mean, that was, yeah, that was a hell of a truck. Had one hell of a subwoofer in it and it had neon everywhere. Everywhere. It was really cool in 2004, I promise. <laughs> it was, yeah. Yeah, I guess neon's not that popular anymore. Imagine no. if we were doing that now with the electronics we could get now and oh. the, uh, the LEDs. I mean, you could have some real fun with some high intensity LED uh, lighting all over it. Well, so it, I remember when, when we were doing that truck, Kevin Stagman was making his own LED bars with parts from Radio Shack. And he's like, dude, this is, this is the future. And I was like, that, and we both laughed at him. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> no way. Neon's forever. <laughs> well, and, and I was coming from a position of engineering, knowing that, no, 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 those, I mean, that's as bright as LEDs are ever going to get uh, famous last words. Right. Right. Now, now I had nothing to do with led technology, obviously, because <laughs> I didn't believe it was going anywhere and it did. Yeah. So you, uh, actually it's funny. One of, one of the moments in, in my, my life with you that resonates, uh, came from that same project. Um, we had finished the truck. Uh, I was, I was in my room in the basement of the, the lake house and I was laying on the couch I was going to be leaving to go to a party later that night. And you, you came down there 
and you said, Hey, you need to come out to the workshop with me. We need to clean up all, all the mess that, that we made over the last two weeks. And I said, no, I, I, I'm not going to do that right now. I I'm getting ready to go to a party and, and I'm tired and you you're, I, I don't remember the exact word. Well, I remember the last half of the exact words, but it was, it was basically something along the lines of, I gave you the last two weeks of my life and, and helped you create something great. And you don't want to come help clean up, go to hell. And, and it was one of those, like still to this day, like cold sweats, PTSD, like, Oh my God, I let him down. But my stupid ass in that moment, you told me to go to hell and I still didn't get up and go clean the workshop. And I hate myself for that. And I resisted the urge to take an ax to the console because <laughs> I didn't think about it. Hey, your F-150 is on fire, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> but the workshop's clean now. <laughs> yeah. No, I was, I was a stubborn asshole and, and, and I apologize. I've in my adult life, I've apologized to you so many times. And, and especially like now that I have my own child, I just, it's like looking at a reflection of myself and I'm like, Oh shit. I, I was this kid. I'm sorry. Yes. What goes around comes around. So you, you were always, uh, uh big into education. I mean, you're a highly educated guy. Uh, you, you did a dual engineering major at the same time at, at university of Michigan. You went back and got an MBA from, from Duke, uh, what is it? Fuqua school of business. Um, yep. and, and my Sam and I's entire childhood, you said, you're going to get good grades. You're going to go to college. You're going to be an engineer and you're going to make $40,000 a year right out of college. And neither of us became engineers, but I, I, I've, I've always wondered why, why did you let us go the routes we did? Because Sam studied history and then never did a fucking thing with it. And then I, I studied music and then business and then speech calm and then dropped out. And you, you, up until dropping out of college, you supported every decision along the way. Why? Well, it's, it's, I'd like to say that I was so smart that I realized you had to, pick your own path. And I couldn't pick the path for you, but it was all your mom. If it was left to me, you'd both be fucking engineers, <laughs> but your mom just beat on me that no, 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 you cannot push them to do things they don't want to do. You can't push them to do things that they're not capable of doing right. and don't want to do. And your mom was the one who forced me to let you guys pick your own paths. And in hindsight, she was right. And in hindsight, I'm very proud of the adults that you and, and your sister have both become. Um, not so proud of the dropout part, but everything <laughs> else has been great. Well, it, with, with without even trying, I, I basically turned into you. I skipped the engineering chapter and I just became a businessman. And I like it. it yep, you it, went straight it, to the business <laughs> side of it and straight to the customer side of it. Yeah. Yeah. Which I'm sure there's times where you've just laid back and, and smiled and went... <laughs> That motherfucker, I knew he was going to do it. <laughs> I'm very proud of you, son. Hey, I'm not looking for you to stroke my ego. This is the Father's Day special. This is all about you. Okay, asshole. So let's <laughs> talk about all the things you did wrong. <laughs> Hit me. Hit me. You, I've asked everyone I've interviewed who has been close in my life to share an embarrassing story, and nobody has really shared a good embarrassing story. So, Dave Hattie, the floor is yours what you got? Well, 
I'm, I'm going to work my way up to an embarrassing story. <laughs> the first story is if you'd paid more attention to all the electronic stuff, yeah, you probably would have done a better job putting the HIDs into the Magnum <laughs> and the Magnum wouldn't have fried its entire electrical computer system in one $3,000 stroke of, uh, of feedback loop and, you know, left us with a real useless piece of crap we had to pour a ton of money into and then get rid of quick before anybody realized what was wrong with it. <laughs> no, that's fair. So for those of you listening at home, I had a, uh, well, it was, it was the first car that I, well, no, that's not true. You guys, you guys helped me financially with that car too. I had a, a 2006 Dodge Magnum RT with the Hemi. I had bought it. Uh, it had been sitting on the lot for a year and a half. It had less than a hundred miles on it when I bought it, but I got a smoking deal on it. And at the time I was working at a car audio shop. So I was getting all kinds of stuff at cost and, and later was getting sponsored by uh, different vendors like Memphis car audio to, to showcase their equipment. And I bought a questionable set of HID lights for the low beams, the high beams and the fog lights. Uh, rather than waiting for my father to come down and visit, uh, Tim Spagna and I tried to hodgepodge it together. And then one day at the most inconvenient time, uh, randomly my car stopped running. Uh, the radio turned well, it on. It stopped doing everything, pretty much everything electronic and it stopped. Well, here's, here's what's crazy is in the moment I had just turned onto my street going towards my apartment on Stonebridge and the car just stops moving. Like I could push the gas, I could push the brake, nothing was happening. It just rolled to a stop but the windshield wipers were going full tilt. The stereo was going full tilt. Um, and the, the lights were flashing interior and exterior. And so I had to get out of the car and unplug the battery to get it to stop because even with the key out, it was still doing it. And as soon as I unplugged the battery and plugged, you know, hooked it back up, nothing happened. I had to flatbed it to my buddy's shop. We, we took two looks at it and we were like, I don't, I don't fucking know. So then we had to take it to a Dodge dealership where it sat for a month. Uh, and yeah, to your point, it was uh, 2970 something dollars to get all the computer. It, literally every computer component in the car was fried. Uh, and they deemed it my fault, even though the car was under warranty because of all the, the extracurricular things I had put onto it. Uh, and I literally took it from the Dodge. Well, that's not true. I had it. I had it for a month after the the computers were all replaced. The transmission started shifting weird. I went back to the Dodge dealership and they said, oh, oh no, no, your entire warranty is void. And so I drove straight from there to a Ford dealership, traded in, got a decent deal and, and bought a, uh, a Harley Davidson F-150. <laughs> Which already had HIDs in it, so you didn't have to add HIDs to That's it. right. That's right. And that was, that was the first car that I financially covered myself. And it was a stupid expensive bill, stupid expensive, especially because right after I bought it, gas shot up to $4 a gallon for the first time ever. And it was good for like 12 miles to the gallon. Well, it was all time, all wheel drive with a five, four Triton V8. So whether you baby it or, even or, or your foot in the, in the floor, it was like 11.9 miles to the gallon. And it was the, the Triton V8 out of the Navigator. So it was premium gas only, synthetic oil only. It was 
the last time I filled it up before I traded it in for the fusion, I paid $147 to fill up the tank. It sucked. <laughs> so let's, uh, uh, so if we want to talk embarrassing stories, that's a whole different topic. I mean, let's what you got? let's talk about following a young lady who shall remain nameless to the point that you rear-ended her car all when she come pulled into the. <laughs> a it was that a, was pretty embarrassing. I okay that you make that sound so much creepier than it really was. Um, so and, and actually that reminds me of a funny dad son story. But I was I we were. We had just left school. We were, there was a bunch of people in Nicole's car, a bunch of people in my car. We were joking around and driving around and we were on a gravel road and she thought it'd be funny to slam on the brakes. And my Explorer did not stop nearly as fast as her, her Taurus. And uh, yeah, that was the second time that you and I had to replace the same bumper, the same headlight, the same grill and the same fender. And we did it in like two hours flat. <laughs> we got real fucking pack. good at it. Yeah, it was like nasty. We got stuff. good at it. <laughs> So actually that my, my funny story is uh, the first time we had to repair the Explorer was because I was with Chris Sibylrude in Mankato Christmas shopping for presents for you and mom. I had just gotten my driver's license a, a month or two before it was snowy, icy. And I learned that day that my Explorer did not have anti-lock brakes and it's real fucking hard to stop an SUV on, on black ice. I slid through a stop sign into the side of a brand new Buick LeSabre. Um, and, and this was a really nice Explorer right up until that moment. It was, well, it was for, for its age and its mileage. It was in great shape. Um, but the, what's crazy is the brand new Buick LeSabre that I T-boned was totaled and taken off on a flatbed. My Explorer just had a busted headlight, a bent grill, a bent fender, and was completely drivable. I drove it home. But the, 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 the part of that story is I'm, I'm 16. I'm freaking out. I've only had that car two months. I'm driving home. Chris Sibylrude called his parents to come pick him up while I was waiting for the police and the, the tow truck and all that and, you know, doing all the paperwork. So I'm by myself boohooing and I'm on, on highway 14 and I call home and mom picks up the phone and she goes, Hey, what's up? I said, where's dad? She goes, Oh, he's in the shower. I was like, great. Here's what happened. And I start telling her everything that happened. And I hear you in the background go, who is it? And she goes, it's your son. He got in a car accident. And you're just, and you grab the phone. <laughs> what happened? And, and, and I, I explained what happened. And I was like, it was, all, it was completely my fault. And you're like, you had a nice car and you fucked it up. You had a nice car and you fucked it up. And you hang up the phone. <laughs> and to this day, it's a running joke. I was just at your house this weekend. And uh, I'll, I won't tell that story, but. Uh, long story short, there was some damage to the ceiling in your house. And I was like, had a nice ceiling and you fucked it up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I might've screwed up the ceiling, <laughs> but you know what? The one thing I didn't show you about the wine chiller I built yeah, is I showed you the AutoCAD drawings of the chiller and of the other wall. I didn't show you the AutoCAD drawing of the cut sheet that told me exactly how to cut the six sheets of plywood and the three sheets of insulation to make them fit and minimize the amount I had to buy. So in your, in your semi-retirement you have, and in quarantine, you decided to build a built-in wine chiller in your home because you are, as we see a wine aficionado. 
How many bottles does your new wine chiller hold? 303. Jesus Christ. I wanted to take it the full length of the wall and it would have held like almost a thousand bottles, but your mom thought that was extreme. Yeah. Yeah. 300 is normal. So instead of 17 feet, we only made it five and a half feet and it only holds 303 bottles. Jesus. That would have been like nine grand in glass alone. Yeah. Oof. So I would have had to rethink the whole glass thing. COVID-19 hits and half of America goes running for toilet paper. Half of America goes running for a gun. You're the one motherfucker that goes to the wine, wine store, just fills a cart full of bottles. Oh, it was, it was better than that. So I, I had a good stash of wine. I didn't have to, to buy a lot of wine, but because of COVID, all the wineries in Texas, and, and as you know, we've traveled Texas a lot. There are some great wineries in Texas. For those sure. of you listening and watching, um, Texas wine has come a million miles in the last 20 years, and there are some world-class Texas wines. But these wineries, a lot of them don't use distribution. And even the ones that do use distribution, people weren't going to the grocery store anyway. Right. So... They, uh, a lot of them sell only through their tasting rooms, which were closed. So I started getting, we, we belong to the clubs with a lot of these wineries. I started getting email after email of, hey, we're sitting on all this wine. We've got to get rid of some of it. You know, one, we need cash. Two, we need space. We need to get rid of some of it. And these guys were all offering up great prices on wine and free shipping, no shit. which is unheard of. Usually you figure when you get done buying the wine, you're going to spend another 15 to 30 bucks on shipping. Right. So, yes, I sat in my COVID-infested uh, hovel and ordered a lot of wine. So we got to the point where the wine room, which in most houses would be called a dining room, but in our, our houses, we always take the dining room and make a wine room out of it. Sure. So the wine room was stacked probably six foot long and four feet tall of cases of wine that there was no room for in the existing chiller. Right. Because the existing chiller was just, you know, a little baby, 170. They rated 170 bottles. But it actually doesn't hold anywhere near that because it's uh, because of the way it's designed. The shelves are spaced too close together, and there's a lot of places where you can't get the the nine or eleven bottles you're supposed to be able to get on each shelf. So I took off building this thing, <laughs> and you know the uh, the the best friend I had at U of M yeah. a million years ago, who Rob and I still stay in touch with him. Um, he once said, "Hattie." you could fall in a bucket of shit and come out smelling like a rose. It's true. It's a Hattie trait. You share that, bud. You have that same <laughs> Hattie uh, luck. That, Tenacity. You know, every once in a while you think, oh, this is terrible. My luck has gone bad. But, but then it ends up everything turns out okay and everything gets taken care of. So I'm trying to figure out how to chill this monster chiller. And I'm trying to figure out how to do it without spending $2,000 on a professional class uh, refrigeration unit. And I'm figuring out how to, to cobble something together, complete jury rig um, of a, of a, a two-piece uh, data room uh, AC unit. Right. And modify the electronics, modify either modify the programming or just fool the programming by screwing around with the sensors and, and fooling the sensors, tweaking the sensors with some extra resistors. And I'm watching all these professional chillers on eBay go by and this one that's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. Nobody's bidding on it. And it gets down to the last day and one guy bids on it. 
and he, and I'm thinking, okay, he's probably put a, a you know cover bit on it that's that's got a little bit of headroom in it. Right. So I sit and think about what would I pay for it, and I put a snipe in on it, and damned if the the next day was Sunday and early Sunday morning the bid closed and in the last second my snipe bid went in, and I had put over six hundred bucks into the snipe just to to hopefully get it because right. it was a two thousand or it is a two thousand dollar chiller. Right. And uh, got it for 461 bucks. So I just smiled and said, okay, now I'm going to build the chiller because now I've got the refrigeration unit. And as you've seen, I, I lucked into, I was going to mount it. It's a through the wall unit. I was going to mount it on the back wall. And as I stood there staring at it, it turns out I had just the perfect amount of space to mount it on the end wall and let right. it blow in a big circular pattern. Right. So yeah, it's come out pretty good. Um, it's got, uh, right now, <clears throat> what's 303 minus 120, there's 120 empty <laughs> slots. So it's got 183 bottles of wine in it right now. Right. And it's, it's not, it's not chilled yet. Actually, we're waiting for the glass as you know. So what is that? That's, I just uh, ordered. that's like a two week run for you. You're, you're stocked for two weeks. Yeah, that that many bottles. I, I would make it a good month. <laughs> Jesus Christ, It'd be a really good month. Oh, <laughs> you wouldn't remember the month. I wouldn't remember the month. It'd be a really good month. And I just ordered the glass today. So uh, the guy came yesterday, did the measurements, went back and forth three times with him on uh, the design and the cost, and we came to an agreement. And I cut him half of the. Uh, bill today so that they'll go ahead and order all the glass and all the hardware and within two weeks i should have glass doors you know i i didn't voice my opinion while we were there this weekend but i i am a little butt hurt that you put all of this time into building this amazing wine chiller and you left one very important feature out of it what's that a cigar humidor oh well if i wanted a cigar humidor that's a different situation because with wine, you're actually keeping the humidity down with a cigar humidor. You want to take the humidity up, sure. right? But Don't you, you want to be like but you 60, have those, 70% humidity. Yeah. You want to be 70, 75%, but you, you have those two drawers underneath the, 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 the chiller itself. Well, it's not too late to make one of those into a humidor by feeding a little cool air from above. But we need to put some humidity into that drawer because the cool air from that's, above will be dry. That's just it. You don't know. You don't. You don't fuck with the air from the chiller at all. You you either get a little electronic humidifier and just stick it in there, or you use Bovita packs, which are literally just you know gel packs that o- omit the you know they control the humidity. So what temperature do you keep a humidor at? What what temperature does a cigar need to be at? Just room temp. Room temp is all that matters. Yeah. It's it's truly just humidity is all that matters. Spanish cedar and humidity. Oh, well, I could build those whole drawers out of Spanish cedar. And as you know, I'm already going to put a lid on the front of them to make a step. So I could just put the lid all the way back and you yeah. just pull the drawer out and lift the lid up. And there's your humidor. I, I'm just saying, if you loved your son, you, you would, you would add that. Well, I, I don't smoke cigars and <laughs> you know, my tobacco, I buy my tobacco in little bitty pouches for my pipe and, I don't worry about storing it for long periods. You know, there was a movie that said, if you build it, they will come. Uh, I'd, I'd be more inclined to come visit if there was a, a stock humidor. Oh, okay. Well, I can get a humidor and stock it. 
I don't have to convert one of those drawers. <laughs> I right off camera there there are several here that I just haven't stocked in a while. So why don't I just extend the cabinet down another uh, foot and a half and give you a six foot, nine foot tall, foot and a half wide humidor? Don't play. Would that store enough cigars for you? You know, you could probably get a good six or seven hundred in, in in something like that. I and and again, yeah. that's it's a month run. Month I'll and start a half. ordering them and having them shipped here. I'll get the humidor built. <laughs> Deal. Um. So. Okay, so internet, you clearly see that the, the, the guy is an engineer at heart. Um, talk about, you know, when you were at General Electric, you were named on how many different patents? So I, I was pretty fortunate while I was at GE. And the thing that attracted me to GE was they were working on new technology. So they were working on both cellular and digital trunking. And the, the key there was the, I'd been in two-way radio, you know, land mobile radio, we call it, or push to talk. I'd been in that business for, well, since I was a ham when I was 12 years old. Right. And to go digital, land mobile radio couldn't afford it. But what we did at GE is we developed the cellular. And back in those days, this was analog North American amps, yep. cellular. Um, the control channel was 10 kilobits on a 30 kilohertz bandwidth channel. And at the time, we thought we were hot fucking shit <laughs> that we could run 10 kilobits on RF. Today, that sounds so stupid. Um, but back then, we thought we were hot. So what we did is we took that 10 kilobit modem chip, and when we designed the silicon, we designed it so we could also run it at 9600 baud on a 25 kilohertz land mobile radio channel. And that was the start of the GE trunking system. Okay. And so I was on the engineering team. I actually was, uh, I was hired in as a unit manager. I ended up as the section uh, engineering manager um, on that project. And so I was involved in a lot of the R and D work, a lot of the development work. And I ended up on 11 patents, most of them around protocols. So I was, uh, I was designing the protocols that let the control channel work in an AMP cellular system or in a uh, GE trunk system. And I was doing the handoff between the control channel and the working channel and doing the, uh, one of the problems with trunking systems, if you go back to that point, is uh, uh, you, couldn't, you couldn't scan. Uh, if you were on a call, you couldn't hear other calls going on. We're in an analog system. You could always scan a bunch of channels and hear everything going on. Right. So we actually put low-speed data on the working channels and created a way to scan uh, by group, so scan digitally on an analog working channel by putting some low-speed uh, data underneath the voice. Right. And uh, so there's a whole, whole series of patents around all those protocols, and I'm named on a bunch of them. Um, that's the good news. The bad news is, shit, that was 30 some odd years ago. GE re-upped them. And well, we sold GE to Ericsson. So we sold GE right. Mobile. I was with that team when we sold GE Mobile to Ericsson. I was actually uh, uh, running engineering at that point, And I ended up running marketing for the combined entity. And then I ended up running the, the utility business unit for the combined entity. But when we uh, sold it, Ericsson took all those patents. And Ericsson defended them, and Ericsson renewed and re-upped them and refreshed them. And so up until a few years ago, I had live patents with my name on it. But 
know, over the past 10 years, all of that's, you know, expired, died. So I am still named on patents, but they're not active any longer. They're all old news at this point <laughs> in the public domain. So there's so many thoughts just came from this. So uh, internet, if, if you're not a super engineering tech nerd, the trunking system he's talking about is the trunk radios that went in police cars, ambulance, fire, um, so in your, your later career after Ericsson, you went to a couple of smaller uh, uh, public radio companies like Raycom out of Iowa and, and EF Johnson out of uh, Minnesota. Um, and with, with your direct relationship with police, fire, and, and, and paramedic uh, came some perks, um, such as oh, yeah. when Eric Hattie did dumb shit in Waseca, Minnesota, the police didn't arrest me. They called my phone. No, father. I got a call. <laughs> exactly. They called me and said, you know what that asshole did? Yeah. Yeah. You, uh, <laughs> well, that wasn't my favorite perk. Though. I mean, it was nice that you had some perks and you could have done the same thing in Iowa. And when you were riding around on your little moped in Iowa, you know, we had the Marshalltown PD watching you because we supplied <laughs> all the communications from Raycom for all of those actually all the counties around us yeah. and my favorite perk. Well, two favorite perks. So the first favorite perk was in the early days um, when I was still at GE and this was actually before we sold GE to Ericsson. Um, I ended up as the engineering um, big brother, so to speak to our beta site. Right. So when we took this thing commercial, of course, everything goes through a beta test and our beta site was Manatee County, Florida. And uh, everybody thought, oh, man, Hattie, you get to go to Florida all the time. All I ever saw was the airport, the (laughs) rental car, and the inside of the data center. Because I lived in the data center when I was down there. But one perk that came out of that is I had radios in all of our vehicles. Right. And we had access to the phone system. We had access to each other. Well, as you'll remember... My favorite vehicle back then was a uh, 85 Mustang 5 liter. Yep. Well, the cops loved the 5 liter Mustang and the pursued vehicles in a lot of police departments were 5 liter Mustangs. So one of the trips to Manatee County, I drove the Mustang down because they wanted to see how I'd installed the GE radio in it. Yeah. And because of that, I got to drive my Mustang on their test track and I got to drive their Mustangs on their test track. And I found out that everything I learned being a hot rodder in Michigan, actually, and and driving, I at that point, I'd driven that Mustang for three years plus. Right. All played through because, you know, frankly, I showed them how to do things with their five liter Mustangs that they hadn't <laughs> even thought of yet. <laughs> We're talking about a car with more horsepower than weight and no computers, no anti-lock brakes, no traction control, no nothing. It's yeah. you the clutch and the gas pedal. And that's it. It's side note. It's, it's really crazy that in 1985, that was the creme de la creme of horsepower. And now you you look at the stats of a car like that and you go, Oh, that's, that's, that's 210 horse. What the hell did you do with that? (laughs) Go get groceries. Shit, man. My fusion had 210 horses. (laughs) Um, Now, hold on. I remember a story about that same Mustang testing the radio on Candler's mountain. Well, that's a different story. (laughs) So yeah, that was, that was one of my first run-ins with the police when I first got down there. So 
Um, I, I'd probably been there a year or more because we had the trunking system on Candler's Mountain running. So Candler's Mountain was the mountain, part of the Blue Ridge, right behind the GE offices. So at that point, if you ever get to Lynchburg, Virginia, right now it's all Liberty University. Right. Uh, we used to be the whole hill above Liberty University, and, and from our roof, you could look down into Liberty. In fact, another story was when H.W. Uh, uh, came down to give the uh, graduation speech at Liberty, and uh, they used our roof. The Secret Service used our roof for their vantage point. No shit. So I got to meet a lot of Secret Service and hang out on the roof with them and watch H.W. give the, uh, <laughs> the speech. I didn't know that. But uh, Candler's Mountain was right above us, and that's where we put our test site because we could leave the plant and get up to Candler's Mountain site in five minutes. Right. So we put all our test code up there. Well, this digital transmission technique, the problem with digital is when you get fades, you get inner symbol interference and the symbols start to cross each other and the data can actually collapse. So we had in our labs, a Rayleigh fading generator, but it only went to 75 or 80 miles an hour. That's as fast as the Rayleigh fading generator went. So we had tested our protocols to that level and they worked. Right. But there was the question of, do they work beyond that? And we were looking at, does anybody make a faster Rayleigh fading generator? You know, what is it gonna cost to get this damn thing? And do we have the budget? So I, as I said, I had the, the radio and the Mustang. <laughs> so when you left the office, you got on highway 460, yep. four lane highway, and it went by Liberty University and then in those days, it went out as far as, uh, I'm trying to remember what the last exit was. It was the north-south, just before you got to our subdivision. Yeah. I don't remember what it was, but it ended at this exit. So I got on the highway, and I'm talking to the guys, and we just had a fading discussion. So I said, well, look, I'm going to get by the, uh, the uh, 29 exit from Liberty, so I know there's nobody out in front of me, and I'm going to go. Right. So start measuring measure my bit error rate, let's talk back and forth, but put all the signals on, generation stuff on and measure me. Right. So I get by that exit. I don't see anybody suspicious coming up. There's nobody in front of me. I stand on it. And I'm doing, I'm probably doing 120, 125 miles an hour. That Mustang, I mean, even with 210 horse, it was pretty quick. Yeah. And they're measuring my signal and I'm going back and forth. And I get to the end of Highway 460, and I go up the exit ramp to and stop to turn right to go towards our house. And up behind me comes a uh, Crown Vic, and he's got two lights in the grill. And that's it, two lights in the grill. Yeah. But they're going. So I tell everybody on the radio, hey, uh, hey guys, we got a problem. I got a cop behind me. I got to go. <laughs> so I pull over and to the onto the shoulder and stop, and he comes up in the. the just a good old Southern boy. First words out of his mouth. And I, I, at this point, I knew he'd already looked up my my license through the dispatcher because he said, Mr. Hattie, I couldn't catch you. <laughs> and I said, well, well, I'm sorry about that. Your car running poorly or, you know, what what's up, <laughs> sir? And I was just polite as polite could be. And he wrote me up. Now, as it turns out, he couldn't clock me. He doesn't have radar. If right. he had radar, I'd have been screwed. Yeah. I never admitted that I was doing over 100 or over 120. Right. But he knew it. 
he knew that he was doing, because he said his his unmarked was only good for like 80 miles an hour, 90 miles an hour. He was doing that, and I was still pulling away from it. <laughs> so he wrote me up, and uh, he pulls away, and I get on the horn to my boss, who uh, has, has been in Lynchburg for a number of years, and is, is at this point, he was running engineering and manufacturing. You know, you knew uh, Dr. Fath, yep. George Fath. Yeah. I get on the horn with George and I say, Hey George, here's what just happened. What the hell do I do? He said, well, let, let me hook you up with my, uh, my lawyer. I got a really good lawyer. So he hooks me up with this lawyer, Ned Perrell. And Ned was another good old Southern boy. I mean, Ned, I could barely understand him when he talked, but <laughs> um, we're going through the process and I met with Ned and I told him everything that happened. And they, uh, and of course we're going to court. So they set the court date and Ned called me to prep me for court. And I said, well, Ned, I got to ask, what's the worst thing that happens? He says, well, Dave, <laughs> bring your toothbrush and your jammies because you may get locked up. Jesus Christ. And I'm thinking, oh, shit. <laughs> so uh, I go to court and the, uh, the first smile that crossed my face was we walk in. Ned gets a big old smile on his face, walks right to the front of the courtroom and calls the judge by first and last name. <laughs> and he, he adds your honor at the end, asks him how his mom is doing, ask him if his dog got better. So, I mean, he just, he knew this guy inside and out. So we, we get up there and, you know, Ned's pleading my case, and the officer's there and the officer's telling them the same thing. And so Ned and I decided the best thing to do is just tell the truth. Sure. And so I did, I told him, look, we're testing this new radio system. Here's, you know, here's the affidavit sound, signed by a VP of General Electric Company that that's what we were doing. It was very poor judgment on my part. I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again, but we didn't have the lab gear to test this thing. So I ran it up to speed, and here's the precautions I took to make sure that I wasn't endangering anybody but myself. <laughs> and we ran it up to speed, and we tested it, and it worked. And, uh, and so he lets the officer speak, and the officer said, well, I, I can only – tell you that he was doing more than 75 because my speedometer is only calibrated to 75. So yeah. I can tell you he's doing 75 plus. And so the judge let it go for 75 plus. And, you know, the, the, the fine and court costs was probably three or 400 bucks, which in those oh days was God. a lot of money. Well, yeah, and then Ned, Ned charged me another 600 bucks. And I smiled and wrote him the check and said, that was cheap at twice the price. Thank you, Ned. <laughs> Cause I'm, I'm taking my jammies and my toothbrush and I'm going home. But so wait, but, general uh, George, gen let me, George, let me expense half of it. That was my next question. That's, that's a good boss right there. <laughs> you let me expense half of it. You let me expense all of it because he couldn't endorse all of it, but he could justify half of it. That's fair. That's fair. So, so it, it's, you and I have had so many parallels in our lives without even trying because that made it made me immediately think of uh, when I had the Dodge Magnum and I was working at CC Audio, mm -hmm. I bought a power programmer and, and it reprogrammed the, the entire computer system before I fried it. Uh, and, you know, the, the instructions of this power programmer say the first 30 miles, drive it the way you want it to drive. So... I left CC audio and I had to go home and grab a shower. And then I was meeting a bunch of friends for, for drinks and dinner. And so I come tearing ass out of, out of Glen carbon down to Maryville. I get home, I grab a shower, I get back in the Magnum, you know, I come off of, uh, uh, um, the, the, 
side highway onto 159 sideways in a drift, lock it in <laughs> and just go. And I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm doing probably a buck 10, buck 20. Now I look over the hill in 159 as you're coming into Glen Carbon and I see a cop on, on the side of the street. Yep. So I slam on the brakes and a few seconds later he hits the lights and he pulls me over and I go, Oh shit, this is, this is bad. And, and, and the guy sits in his car for 15 minutes, doesn't get out two more squads and a sheriff show up and I go, Holy shit. Holy shit. I'm going to jail. And now my mind's going, where am I going to find bail money? Had the ghetto sled, uh, license yep. plate on it. Yep. This, and this is when it was blacked out black Rams, ghetto sled license plate. Um, and, and you know, I, I was always, uh, uh, very aware of what I was perceived to be before people walked up to the car. They, they thought it was a drug dealer's car. So, I knew the drill windows down keys on the dash hands on the steering wheel dome light on don't move. <laughs> and same thing. This guy had run my plates. He came up hand on gun and he goes, Mr. Hattie, I know you were going a shitload faster, but I got you at one eleven. And, and he goes, you better have a good fucking excuse. And I said, I, I don't, I said, I could, I could tell you why I was, I was doing that, but it was, it was uncalled for. And I was, I was so out of line and I'm, I'm so sorry. And, and right as I'm, I'm saying all this, he's looking at me kind of, kind of funny. And I was like, what? And he goes, you work at that car audio shop. And I look at him again and I go, Oh shit. Yeah. We did your boat. Uh, we put all the speakers on your boat. I remember you. And I said, your daughter has a Jeep that needed a stereo system. Right. And he just looks at me and I give him the, the, the like, and, and he, he turns around and he waves off the other, other squads and the sheriff. And, and he says, just give me your license registration. I'll take care of this. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to jail. I'm going to get a nasty fucking ticket. That's okay. He comes back. And I'm going to put a new stereo in his daughter's Jeep. He, <laughs> he hands me a warning for 55 and a 35. Because that was the other thing is as I was going like hell, it was one of those where it went 55, 45, 35 really quick in, in succession. And so he hands me this warning, 55 and a 35. He says, my daughter's Jeep will be there tomorrow at 8 a.m. And I was like, you're goddamn right it will. I put I put all new speakers in there. And I put the there. best stereo you're in it goddamn right I did. I, knew, I, I put one of the flip-out head units in there at my cost and the speakers. And, and, and Joel's like, what are you doing? And I was like, I am keeping my ass out of jail. <laughs> so, um, God. Well, my story like that was in North Carolina. So... You remember that when I was doing the Duke MBA, it was yeah. a weekend MBA. Yeah. So every Thursday afternoon, we'd take off and drive down. We had classes all day Friday, all day Saturday. Yeah. And sometimes we'd get home Saturday night. Sometimes we'd get home Sunday. Yeah. But uh, if, if Craig and I went together, a good friend of mine from uh, work. Sikowski, right? And if Craig drove, it was a two and a half hour drive. Yeah. If I drove that little white Mustang GT, it was an hour and 55 minute drive. <laughs> so we, and he was convinced I was going to get a ticket yep. or get hauled off or something. So we get through the whole two year program. We're wrapping things up. We're actually have graduated. I went back down to meet with the study group that I had belonged to. That was all local to Raleigh Durham. Yeah. And uh, to wrap up our final project and turn it in. And on the way home from that, I'm in North Carolina and I'm coming down this huge hill in my white five liter Mustang. And on the far, and I'm going like a bat out of hell. <laughs> on the far other side, I see a black five liter Mustang. Nothing to tell me it's a cop. Right. Totally, this thing was totally unmarked. 
he's coming down the other side of the hill, like a bat out of hell. Yeah. And as we get to the bottom of the hill, I wave <laughs> and he waves. And I notice he's got a badge on his shoulder. You know, and he immediately stomps the brakes and does a Dukes of Hazard U-turn in the middle of the highway. It's, it's a two lane road. Yep. It's all back roads down through there. What is it? Uh, was it, it was, it was 29 all the way down through there, wasn't it? Yeah. So he does a Dukes of Hazard. As soon as I see him spin around, I realize it's a cop. Yep. So I pull over and stop. He comes flying up and stops right behind me. He uh, comes up to the car. We start talking. I end up getting out of the car. We stood there talking about five liter Mustangs for <laughs> half an hour. And I'm thinking, I'm, I'm out. I'm free. I'm out. I'm free. Son of a bitch wrote me up anyway. <laughs> he said, hey, I'd already radioed this in. I got to write you up. So oh, he wrote shit. me up a ticket. And I just, I was in North Carolina. I wasn't coming back to fight it. So I just paid the damn thing and moved on. But luckily in those days, North Carolina system didn't talk to Virginia system. So I right. never got any points in Virginia. <laughs> well, that's, that's like uh, when I was running all the Verizon stores all over Illinois, they had, they had deferment. Uh, you could, you could pay. It was like a uh, hundred dollars uh, on top of the, the ticket. It might've even been less than that. It was maybe even 30 or $50 on top of the ticket. And as long as you didn't get pulled over for 90 more days uh, in that County, it was never on your record, never to your insurance. And so yeah. th there was a point when I was running all those Verizon stores, I had a sticky note on the dash of the fusion that had the names of the counties that I had to be slow in. It was like, Oh shit, I'm coming into Jefferson. I got to slow down. You know, <laughs> uh, Can't get a ticket here. No. Well, are you aware I took a safe driving class in Virginia? No, I knew you. I knew you took one to get out of a ticket in Texas. Well, you were you were this tall at the time, <laughs> so it was right after we moved there. So when we moved there, oh shit, it was the end of end of eighty six. So you guys came down in eighty seven. So you were a couple years old. Yeah. Within a six months or a year of me being there. I uh, ran into all kinds of difficulties. Thanks, Mom. Yes, thanks, dear. <laughs> all kinds of difficulties with speeding tickets, because it turns out Virginia, unlike Michigan, has no sense of humor. <laughs> and so less than a year after we got there, I had enough speeding tickets that they were going to take my license away. Holy shit. And the solution to that was to go sit in a safe driver's class. So, so this is 1986, 87, it would have been. Yeah. Um, I'm working for GE. So guess what? GE, it's either a dark gray or a dark blue suit every day. Yep. I'm an engineer. So my tie is made of polyester. It's not made of silk, <laughs> but I'm wearing a button down shirt and a, a tie and a suit. Yep. And I go to this safe driving class right? You know, skip out of work. Again, George was real nice about it. Yeah. You need to go do this, go do this. So I'd skip out of work, go to safe driving class, you know, sitting among a bunch of 16, 17 and 18 year olds that are in, in ratty jeans well, and t-shirts. Central Virginia, you were probably the only one that had sleeves in the whole class. <laughs> I, I was, and I was the only one who spoke English in the whole class. <laughs> So, yeah, but my favorite perk, we never got back to my oh, favorite yeah, yeah. perk. 
Perks, perks of public safety. So when we were in Iowa, yep. and Iowa was, I, mean, I enjoyed living in Iowa. You enjoyed living in Iowa. We had a beautiful house. You had a nice cool moped. <laughs> you had to ride the hell out of your moped. It's true. But uh, I was with Raycom and we did the public safety communications, 911 and uh, radio, you know, two way for 19 different counties. And so I had that same list of counties on my dash of the uh, town car because those were the counties where I had diplomatic immunity. <laughs> I might get pulled, but I'd never get ticketed. Right. And my favorite story about diplomatic immunity is one day I'm going from Marshalltown up to Waterloo. And to get through there, you got to go through Grundy, which Grundy County has some of the most, or at that time had some of the most uh, famous speed traps in the whole world. <laughs> and I'm buzzing through Grundy County and I'm probably doing 70 or 75 and a 55 on a two lane road heading towards Waterloo. And I come by a T intersection and there's a, a Grundy County Sheriff's uh, car sitting there. Yep. And I thought, oh crap, I am going to be late. I don't have time for this asshole to pull me over. And I knew I wouldn't get a ticket, but still they got to right. pull you over. Yeah. So out he comes and he comes blasting up behind me. I'm thinking, shit, here he comes. And my radio lights up and it's an individual call. And the, the voice on it, you know, so it's a person to person. Nobody else can hear us. It's him and me. Right. And the voice says, Hattie, is that you? <laughs> and I recognize the voice. It's Sheriff Rick Penning of Grundy County. And I key up and I say, hey, Sheriff Penning, how's the day? And he said, well, get the fuck over and let me by and tuck, tuck in tight and we can talk. And so <laughs> I tuck over into the shoulder. He goes blasting by me. I tuck in behind him. Now we're doing 105 miles an hour. I'm in that old Lincoln town car. This was the 93 town Floating. car. Yeah. <laughs> He's in his crown Vic. We're doing 105, 110 miles an hour down the two lane. And we're shooting the shit back and forth about what's going on, how the radios are working, you know, all the latest news of the day. We get just short of Waterloo, and he says, I bet you're going to turn off up here. I said, yes, sir, I am. He said, well, I'm going straight. You better slow down or these assholes will pull you. Take care, man. And I, I slowed down. I mean, I, I actually got there in time that I could stop and get a cup of coffee before I went in to see the sheriff up at uh, Waterloo. No, I, I had never heard that story. I didn't know. I figured you were going to say he got right up on you and saw that your license plate said Raycom, whatever number it was. Um what, what Raycom were you? Raycom 8? Raycom? Raycom 8, yeah. Yep. Yeah, and, and he saw the license plate and said, oh, I, I don't have to fuck with this guy. <laughs> yeah, I got pulled over a lot in those days, but never got ticketed because they'd call in the Raycom plate. And the, the, the guys who had done it once, you know, would stop pulling you at all. They'd just right. let you go. Right. The guys who didn't know would pull you, and then they'd call it the dispatch, and dispatch would pull up the plate and go, yeah, give him a stiff warning and send him on his way. <laughs> I wonder if that that's still the case, you know, nowadays, you know, it, or, or if they. Oh, I bet it is. Oh, no shit. I bet it is because telecom <laughs> is telecom. Raycom's still doing it. I mean, Raycom's still there. Yeah. So, yeah, I bet you that uh, Mike Miller can drive right through those areas <laughs> at whatever speed he wants. Jesus Christ. So, you, uh, it, it, you know, I, I, I made the comment earlier that without even trying, I, I basically turned into you. Uh, the, the, the people, so I'm, I, you know, I'm a motorhead. I love to drive fast. Uh, I also, you know, am all about, you know, building relations with people and, 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 you know, talking my way out of, out of trouble. 
but one of the things that you instilled in me in, in my later life is, is I am now a business travel snob. And when I, I traveled with you as a kid, it looked like you were in physical pain waiting for your family to drag along the airport. And you, you had very strict rules. Like I remember we, we, we had to, we were laying over in Charlotte, I think. And, and you had an admiral's club membership and you basically turned around and stared Sam and I in the eyes and said, we're going to go in here. But if you make a fucking noise, I am never bringing you in here again. And, And I never understood it until now you know, I've got an Admiral's Club membership and, and I, I look at the guys bringing their families and I go, you motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah. So how many... Yeah, that was the, the bad news about traveling so much, which you know, because you're doing it now, Yeah, is you're gone a lot. You're oh, away sure. from family and it's a pain in the ass. The only good news about traveling a lot is the perks that come with it. Absolutely. So I went, I went through a period of time and you're there now where I was either chairman's when we were in... Uh, in uh, uh, Piedmont and U.S. Air Territory, or I was exec platinum with American, yep. where I would tell my, and, and these were the good old days where we had executive assistants. Right. You don't have executive assistants anymore, but in the good old days, I would tell Jody Lee, look, if you can't get me in the first class, right. you pick a different flight. Right. Or I just ain't going because <laughs> you know, I'm not flying in the back cabin. I'm flying in first class. Right. Well, that's, you know, our, our company uses a, a travel booking website and I, I, I went to the procurement guy and I said, listen, I understand that you guys use this to measure, measure the travel, but they limit the flights that they show as available versus me going straight on American and the pricing I'm actually cheaper on American than I am through this travel site. They put their own fees and services on there. And he goes, Oh yeah. They lump all that shit in. He goes, well, why the fuck do you care about costs so much? I said, I don't, I'm just sweethearting you to tell you that I'm, I'm caring about costs. But what I really care about is I know the connections where I'm going to get an upgrade and they're not showing me those connections on the travel site. So just know I'll, I'll give you my full travel report, you know, right off of American's website. If you guys need it to, to go renegotiate anything, I said, but I'm, I'm going straight to American because God damn it. I, if I don't get upgraded, it, it ruins my day. The, I, I flew 28 flights in January and February of this year and I got upgraded on all but two and only because they were regional planes that didn't have a first class. Well, and, and this was the good old days. So as you know, my first flight, and my last flight, every single time, yeah. was a regional jet in and out of Lynchburg. Yep. But back in those days, I would I'd leave the office twenty minutes, half an hour ahead of flight time, <laughs> literally ahead of flight time. And it, and as you recall, from my office, it was you know five minute drive to get to the airport. Yeah, wasn't far at all. I would park right across the street from the terminal because that was the dollar more a day parking, and I thought it was <laughs> worth a dollar more a day to be right across from the terminal. Yep. I'd walk through the terminal and it didn't matter what seat was on my ticket because the gals downstairs knew me Right. as I'm walking through. It's like your seat's waiting for you, Mr. Hattie, because they would block <laughs> out one Delta, one D, and I would always sit on one D. I used to tease them that it was first class because I got to sit up there and talk to them and get more drinks. Yep. They weren't free alcohol, but you know, at least I got more drinks. Right. And yeah, that was the in and out every single time. And then in between first class. Well, and, and God help me if I don't get bulkhead seat on a regional plane. That's, that's just miserable. 
I exactly I flew uh, when I went to Calgary, uh, Alberta last year. That was a four and a half hour flight on a regional jet. I oh my god! I was blown. I I thought it was a joke. I, I I was heading to the airport that morning. I look at my 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 uh, app and it says Terminal B, and I was like, "That's the regional terminal. What the fuck?" And I I go pull up the the flight info, and it was a, a RJ nine hundred. And I was like, son of four a bitch. hours. That's four, miserable. Four and a half hours. Luckily, I was in the bulkhead, uh, so you know, I I had some some. Yeah, labor. you could stretch out a little bit. But yeah, and believe it or not, that it had uh, it didn't just have Wi-Fi; it had satellite Wi-Fi. So I, oh, I that's was, cool. I so even in Canada, it still works. Yeah, it was. It was. It, that is one nice thing about American. Everybody else is still using terrestrial and American has gone to the satellite. So that's good. Yeah. I, I was going to say of, of the 28 flights I was on this year, every single one of them had Viasat and, and you know, shit, even a year ago, it was 50, 50. They were still swapping them out at that point. So you, how many, how many countries have you traveled to for business? Oh, hell, I don't know. I haven't <laughs> counted them. I've been all over Europe I've, I've not done as much in Asia. So in Asia, I've been in China. I've been in Hong Kong. Um, Did you do Japan? was in Malaysia once. Uh, Singapore. Europe, I've pretty much been everywhere. No shit. And uh, in Scandinavia, I've been everywhere. And uh, I, I was actually in Russia illegally once. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> from Stockholm. <laughs> we took a boat across from uh, from Sweden, from the south of Sweden. So... Where, where were you traveling when, when, uh, you were in the middle East and, and your government escort said that he knew a bunch of Hatties and said that he could take you and meet them. Where were you? So I was actually in Syria. So okay. this was when I was running EF Johnson yep. and, um, the Syrian government was looking for a new two way radio system and, uh, the U S government through a three letter agency, I saw the guy's business card, although I know it's not his name. <laughs> but uh, they came to see us because um, it looked like the French. It looked like, uh, um, oh, God, I'm going to draw a blank on the French radio company's name. But it starts with an M, and I'm drawing a blank. But it looked like they were going to win. Right. And Motorola didn't have any shot at it. So Ericsson wasn't even chasing it. Ericsson was pretty much out of two-way at that point, and right. you know they had sold it off to Comnet. And uh, Motorola couldn't win because Motorola's got all the facilities in Israel, so the Syrians <laughs> wouldn't do business with them. Right. So the U.S. government came to us and said, "Look, we we'd like you to go after this business." And so I had a guy running um, Europe, the Middle East, and Africa, Tamiya, yeah. and. Uh, uh, we decided, okay, you know, if you want us to go after it, we'll go after it. So we went after it. The uh, uh, During the, the post-bid process, the Syrians came to visit Waseca, Minnesota, <laughs> and we actually took them up to a uh, basketball game. It was basketball season. What did you do, take them to and, Barney's uh, Drive-In? <laughs> now, we, we took them to the basketball game because uh, all the tickets were furnished. <laughs> so Weird. I knew, nobody else on my team knew, that everybody around us, was, you know, a spook. Right. And our seats were specially picked so that they could surround us. Right. Um, but we took them there. And anyhow, we won the business. Yeah. So part of closing the business was you have to go kiss the ring. Yeah. So, yes, in 2003, I had the opportunity to travel to Syria. This was post 9-11? This was post 
Uh, for some reason, and, in my uh, head, I thought it was it was pre nine eleven. I thought it was like the year no, before. This was this was post nine eleven. Um, uh, we uh, so we were a little nervous, your mom and I. Yeah. But I knew that our government was watching me. That they had agents over there, and I knew that I was dealing with their government. Right. So. Um, my, uh, sales director and I, so I wasn't going to ask anybody else to go over. Plus, right. you know, I have heritage in Syria, so I wanted to go over. Sure. So my, uh, my director and I jumped on a plane and we had to connect through, I think we connected through uh, Madrid and dropped down in. And, uh, my first indication that everything was okay. was when we got to the airport, we're standing in the customs line with a bunch of other people, the whole planes were the people. Yeah. And I see a guy that looks like a Marine right. in U.S. terms, but he's obviously Syrian. Right. And he's got a piece of paper in his hand, and he's looking at the piece of paper, and he spots my sales director and I. And he turns to the customs agent right in front of us, and he points at him, and he points at us, and he does this, and he <laughs> claps twice. And the, the customs agent looks at him and starts to shake his head no, and, and he goes, and the customs agent drops his eyes and says, go with him. <laughs> and so we walk over to him. We never went through customs. He pulled us out of customs, so he was our driver the whole time we were there. He worked for the government. Yeah. Um, I, I think he looked like a Marine because he was the their equivalent of a Marine. Sure. And uh, he pulled us out. We never went through customs. He took us to our hotel. Um, he was our driver the whole time we were there. He took us over to meet the, uh, the uh, dealer we were working with. So we were work we obviously had no facilities in Syria. So we right. were working with one of the local dealers Yeah. and, uh, we had the meetings with the government. We kissed the rings of the government and got to know these guys. I was over there a week and the dealer found out that, you know, my grandfather emigrated from Beirut when it was still Syria in 1912. Right. And so he started showing me all over. He took us into to downtown Damascus, showed us the uh, the mosques and the and the the uh, churches. Right. Because there's still a lot of Christianity over there. Right. That are being restored, showed us all the the work going on. It's all, I mean, well you've seen the little dish I brought back. Everything yeah. is is like little bitty mosaic tile. And oh. it's not like here where you, where you get the mosaic tile and it comes on a, uh, a sheet of, of mesh and you right. just glue the mesh down. No, this is the individual tiles and they're gluing them up. Yeah. I've, I've still got and, the mosaic uh, uh, box right there on top of the piano. It holds all my guitar picks. <laughs> yeah. So he took me all over downtown Damascus. And then one day, you know, we're, uh, and so this, the guy who owns the dealership, the, the dealer, I shouldn't say dealership, but the radio dealer, uh, he invites us out to his place. He's got like this seven building villa that's all walled in. Oh, wow. So our driver takes us to it's his gate. And, you know, I saw a dozen different servants taking care of things. That was one of the things I took away is the Middle East there is no middle class. There's the haves and the have nots. Right. There's just this big gap in the middle with no middle class. Right. But as we're sitting there and we're smoking the hookahs with, with tobacco in them. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and eating and drinking. Um, he tells me that he's done some research. He says, 
when your grandfather lived here, he says, it wasn't spelled like you spell it now. It was spelled H-A-T-T-I, Hati. And he said, I have found some people that I think may be your relatives in Lebanon. He says, we should go. <laughs> and I said, well, I, I don't have a, I don't have a, a visa to get to Lebanon. He said, ah, you don't need that. <laughs> so he, he and I, and, and my uh, sales director pile in the, the, it's an E55 um, Mercedes that we've been tooling around in. Yeah. We pile in with the driver. When we get close to the border, he stops the car and he trades places with the driver. Yeah. And he turns to my director and I, and he says, sit down low in the seat. And he says, you don't have to slouch too low, but sit down a little low in the seat. And so we sit down low in the seat. He rolls his window down maybe this far. Yeah. And we were coming up on the border, and here's the, the line to go through the border normally, which is just packed with cars stopped. Yeah. He turns off on the military road. He's sailing down the military road 50 miles an hour with his window partway down. When we get to the border, he snaps a salute to the guy standing at the border who snaps a salute back and we drive through. So we go into downtown Beirut. We had a great dinner in downtown Beirut. Right. He had some business to take care of. So he asked us to disappear for a while with the driver. Yeah. This, this is when you've heard me tell that story. The driver is taking us all over Beirut. We see all these beautiful areas of Beirut. I have some great pictures I brought back of Beirut. Right. But then we get into this area that's just beat to shit. And I said, well, th- this one doesn't look like it's been cleaned up since the, the, the bombings. He says, oh, that's because the bombings are still going on. I said, what do you mean? <laughs> so oh, this is um, Hamas territory. I said, we Get us the hell out of here. <laughs> Jesus we, Christ. We do not want to be caught down here. No. So then we, we get back to the uh, the restaurant, pick up the guy who owns the, uh, the the LMR dealer. Yeah. And he takes us up into the hills above Beirut, which is where Grandpa came from. Grandpa came from the, uh, the olive groves up above Beirut. Yeah. We go up there, and sure enough, here's a family. You've seen the picture of me with them. Yeah. Their name is Hattie, H-A-T-T-I. They uh, pulled out the tapas and the wine, and we all sat around and shot the ship with the translators because they didn't talk English. That was so my next question, yeah. My uh, sales director luckily spoke some Arabic, and, of yeah. course, our driver and our uh, friend both spoke fluent English and fluent Arabic. So we, we sat with them for several hours just eating tapas and drinking wine, and we headed on back to uh, the Syria. You know, when, when I'm traveling and I'm meeting with prospective clients, current clients, I, I have a rule that I don't ride in a car with any of them. I get myself from A to B because I don't want things to get weird or squirrely, right? And, and, and I've had a few instances that caused that rule to come into place. But that's fucking kids play compared to my driver took me into Hamas territory in fucking yeah. Beirut. <laughs> or, or my dealer took me across the border by snapping a suit because he was a military guy. Yeah. The, the reason the dealer could do business with the government is he was a military guy. Yeah, it, I... the. So in all seriousness, in all honesty, as you're riding in the back of this Mercedes on a military road and he says, slouch down, did you not? My whole fucking life passed in front of my eyes. I'm thinking I'm dead. Well, the other thing, the other thing that he told me, and uh, um, I don't know if you remember uh, Max Safavi, who was the CFO at Johnson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He was actually the CFO at Johnson Corporate. So Max was Persian. 
So this dealer told me, he says, hey, um, I can get you a Lebanese passport. He said, uh, you know, you've got the ties. He said, do you have something that shows where your grandpa came into the country? I said, yeah, when grandpa died, we got a copy of, of all the stuff. Right. He's, I can get you a Lebanese passport. And when I got back over here, I was thinking, shit, this is cool. I can go in and out of Lebanon on a Lebanese passport. Right. And Max said, hey, Dave, don't do that. He says, one, if you get a Lebanese passport, you're going to light up every light there is to light up. You'll never get through TSA. CIA <laughs> and the government. Right. And he says, two, you should understand. He says, I could have a Persian passport. He says, you know, Iranian. But he says, if you travel on that passport and anything bad happens, the U.S. government won't touch it. Yeah. His hands up. They yep. won't touch you. Yeah. Yep. Disavow any knowledge of you. Holy shit. So no, I didn't get a Lebanese passport. I can't believe that was post nine 11 in my innocent mind. I always thought that was like the year before nine 11. And, and that's why you hadn't gone to the middle East ever since. No, <laughs> no, nope, that was post nine 11. Holy shit. Your mom was quite happy to see me come home. Oh, uh, the yeah. other thing I learned while I was over there. So, and the other reason I know it was post 9-11, I was in the middle of restoring the uh, Land Cruiser. Okay. And so I was doing all this eBay stuff. And I had a PayPal address that was tied not to my AOL email account, but to, I forget what I had back then, a Yahoo or something. Right. And uh, um, it may have even been Gmail at that point. But anyhow, I had an auction roll up, and I went ahead and took care of it one night in the hotel. Yeah. And... PayPal got so wound up about this that it was coming from a Syrian IP address Right. that PayPal shut my account down. I couldn't get it turned back on. So I ultimately created a new PayPal account under my 10-year-old AOL address because I could start a new account easier than I could make the old account come back to life because you know, touching it from Syria had just effed up the whole world. <laughs> no, I didn't know that. <laughs> Jesus. Okay. Well, you, uh, I, I am the young grasshopper that still has, has much to experience in my, my business career. Apparently. I mean, you, th those are some dick on the table stories. <laughs> so, you know, uh, I'll, I'll say this, it, the, the whole premise of this episode is, it, you know, this weekend is father's day and we, we had an, an early father's day, uh, while celebrating your 40th anniversary this past weekend, uh, down there in Houston. But you know, the, the, the premise of, of this entire podcast is, is about the entrepreneurial spirit about, you know, constantly bettering yourself, doing great things, uh, making lots of money. And I, every single one of those core values was instilled in me because of you. Uh, as much as I fucking resented you at the time as a child, I, I, I want you to know if I don't say it enough, the shit stuck. Like there, there are so many times uh, when I, just a few weeks ago when I was building my server rack and I was, tr I, I was hung up on a problem and I was trying to figure it out. And I was like, I'm not going to call him. I'm just going to figure this out. And in the back of my head is fucking Dave Hattie. And it like, I'm, I'm like, VHS rewinding and spooling through 30 fucking years of, uh, you know, you know, instances where we were doing shit. Uh, but you know, uh, ultimately thank you. Um, you, you, you've made me a hell of a businessman. You've made me a great father. And it, it, it's, it's funny because, you know, you talked about, you know, the downside of travel is that you're always gone and you miss out on a lot. And when I was a kid, there was a point in my angsty teenage years when I was very resentful uh, that you were always gone. 
that you, you missed baseball games, that you missed band concerts. Um, and you know, you always, you know, said something along the lines of for us to live the lifestyle that we have, these are the things that I have to do. And I always got so angry and now I'm in that same situation and I'm already prepping myself for when Judy's older and has those angsty, you know, pushbacks of, Hey, do you like the life that we have? You know, understand that I, I, there are, it's not all fucking rainbows and butterflies when I'm out there traveling. It's, it's times where it's quite miserable and I would much yeah. rather be home. And, and I totally it's gotta get be it. done. I totally get it now. I, I used to swear there were times we'd get in fights and I'd be like, I'm never going to be like you. And, and so now I'm curious when, when, when I said shit like you that, were you said like, those <laughs> things to me on many occasions? Yeah. And I didn't know at the time I had no idea what you were going to do. <laughs> I mean, you, you could have ended up, uh, becoming a manual laborer working on a road crew. I didn't know. Sure. I really didn't care. I mean, I wanted you to be the best you could be, but I wanted you to be happy. And you know, you, you've done both. You, you're happy, but sure. you've also become the best you can be. Sure. Well, always trying. Yeah. But to that point, you, you are the reason that I have the work ethic I have. I mean, I, you guys, took really good care of us as kids. I mean, you, depending on what relative you asked, you spoiled us too much. Uh, but the day I turned 14, I hadn't even blown the candles out yet. And you said, Hey, Ivy's hiring. If you want it, you know, I'll help you with anything you want, but from here on out, you're paying for half. And you know, I, God, I remember I had been bagging groceries at High V for a couple months and I had like, so do you remember when you came to tell me you had half of the moped saved up? Cause I should have bricked that day. I had no <laughs> idea you had put together half of a damn moped. But do you know why I that like, happened? God, I got to come up with the other half. <laughs> I was walking around the halls of Miller middle school with a couple hundred bucks in my pocket thinking I was hot shit because nobody else was working and I was. And we were in Des Moines one weekend and we were at a guitar shop and there was this leather guitar strap and it was so fucking gaudy. Uh, it had like cow, like white, black and white. It was almost like a zebra pattern, but it, it, you know, and then black leather. And it was, it was, we didn't know what Dell was back then, but it's a Dell pattern today. <laughs> Gateway. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was, it was 60 or $70. And I, I grabbed it off the rack. I was like, I'm fucking buying this. And you stopped me and you said, do you know how many hours you had to work to buy this? Do you really want it that bad? Was it worth that many hours of work? And my stupid ass, so many of these stories, my stupid ass still did it. But that in the back of my head, every other, <laughs> every, yep. every other purchase after that was, how many fuck dad I'm 30 almost 35 years old and I still think about how many hours did I have to work to justify XYZ purchase we were just talking about getting a new MacBook Pro over the weekend and and in my head I'm thinking how many bonus checks do I have to 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 accrue to buy this this Mac to pay for this damn thing yeah yeah it's it's a mind fuck it's a Dave Hattie mind fuck is what it is. But that, you know, it's shit. I, even the, the, the summer I came home from, um, uh, from college, it was the last summer I, 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 I was at the house. Um, I, I had been home for a week and I was on the couch and you're like, what are you doing? 
I was like, I don't know. I'm going to, I'm going to go hang out with some friends. He's like, no, you're going to get a fucking job. You're going to work this summer. He go, what, where are you going to work? And I said, I don't know. Maybe I'll go back to Domino's. And you're like, no, I want you to get a manual labor job so that you truly understand why the fuck you're going to college and why you're not going to, you know, drop out. You're going to finish. You're going to be an engineer. You're going to make was the year your mom got to the job at wingers. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I was slinging steel in the back of a fucking factory. Uh, you know, but to that point, I saw a, a life that I didn't want working from 3 PM to 3 AM in the morning, dealing with, you know, union bullshit, being the, the scab temp worker, uh, and, and, you know, I might've been in the best shape ever that summer, but it was miserable. All my friends were doing shit and I was too tired because their, their daytime was my nighttime. And, you know, so it, it gave me an appreciation, even though I, and again, as all these stories are, I still did the dumb thing you didn't want me to do. I, I, I dropped out of college, but even though, you know, it, it was not what you guys wanted, there was some business logic behind it of the economy's going to shit. My friends aren't getting jobs. They ha- they're being told they don't have experience and they can't get the job. And so it, it played out, you know, Jess and I were just talking You've about made it. it work. Yeah. That's the bottom line. You've we, made it work. And that's great. Yeah. And we were, we were talking about it on the way home from Houston, actually. And I, I, I said, it, it was exactly what I needed to do in that moment, but I would never recommend it to anybody else. You know, and it's, it's definitely put me in a, like we were, we're the, the whole reason that conversation came up is, you know, Kyle getting his MBA. I said, you know, what's fucked up is Kyle's resume would be on top of mind for an executive job purely because of the school he went to and the, the, the three letters yep. after his name and the MBA. Yeah. Yep. It's crazy. So, but you know, all, all of that to say you, while, while you and I fought like fucking cats and dogs and, and we still butt heads, you know, shit, anytime we're working on a project and, and there's a, a difference of opinion, we, we, we get that Hattie temper flare up, but you, you are truly the North star that, that has helped me make every decision in my life. Even if you fucking disagree with the decision I made, you know, it, it, you know, you, 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 it, it's truly all because of, of you. So uh, and that traces back to my dad. Oh, hundred percent. That son of a bitch. When, when we lived in, in Iowa, grandpa, we had two lawnmowers, uh, the craftsman and, and a John Deere. And I'm on the John Deere. I was, I was, you know, I, I'd only been mowing grass for maybe two summers and he's on the craftsman behind me. And I was like, grandpa, I, I just mowed that. And he goes, you didn't mow it very well. <laughs> he goes, I'm, I'm having to clean up everything you're missing. <laughs> But you know, your, your attention to detail came from him. And when he was alive, he instilled that in me. And now, you know, shit, just this weekend, you and I are standing out, you know, looking at my, my Lincoln and there was a dent on it and it, it came from before I bought the car and you and I are, you, you said, uh, nobody else is going to notice that except you and me. And it's true. We have a stupid attention to detail and, and it's because of grandpa Hattie. Yeah. Well, and, and. I get a lot of questions about, well, you're the oldest kid, right? Well, no, actually, I'm the middle kid. Yeah. And they look at me and go, you can't be the middle kid. I said, well, I am the middle kid, but <laughs> I'm also the oldest kid because, as you know, Grandpa Hattie had an industrial accident yep. in uh, 1968, late 68, yep. and pretty much lost the use of his left hand and left arm, and he was left-handed at the time. Yeah. And uh, I didn't know my that older part. brother was already driving a car and... And uh, chasing girls and raising hell. 
So when that happened, I became Grandpa Hattie's hands and arms. Yep. And so when I told you this weekend that I've been doing attic work for 51 <laughs> years, I was serious as a heart attack because right. when I was nine years old, guess what? <laughs> I was in the fucking attic of Grandpa Hattie's house doing, and first thing he said is, do not step between those joists. Do not come through my ceiling. Right. And he taught me how to do HVAC. He taught me how to do plumbing. He taught me how to do wiring. I before, Long before I had an electrical engineering degree, I could do wiring. Right. Long before I had an electrical engineering degree, I could repair anything, and including electronics. And I got all that from Grandpa Hattie. Yeah. And when I decided to go off to college, your grandpa Hattie took me out behind the tin shed that I'd helped him put together and said, look, you know, I've been, and grandpa Hattie had an eighth grade education. He says, you know, I've been dealing with engineers my whole damn life. He said, you know, they won't give me the title. He said, I'm running the damn plant. They won't give me the title plant manager because I don't have a diploma or a degree. Right. He said, I just want you to know that if you go off to college and you become one of these book smart engineers and you forget all the common sense I've taught you, I'm going to bring you back out here and take you out. I brought you into this world. I can take you out. And I remembered that all through college and yeah. I, and I applied that. There were a lot of times at U of M where, you know, the, 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 the guys were doing lab work and the guys couldn't read a damn resistor color code. And I've been reading resistor color code since I was 10. <laughs> and, uh, my, my favorite engineering class was a old Wizen professor who put a problem up on the board that had no solution. Right. And watch all the engineers go nuts trying to solve it. <laughs> but if you made a few assumptions, if you looked at it and went, well, I'm going to assume the voltage here is is zero because it's damn near zero. Right. And I'm going to assume the gain here is infinite because it's pretty high. Boom, the solution fell out. <laughs> and uh, so there were about three of us in the room who were done. And everybody else is going nuts. And he's walking around looking at our papers going, good job, good job, good job. And the same professor, you know, if you gave him an answer to, in those days, more than three significant digits, he'd mark it wrong. Right. Say, look, you don't have a meter that can read that. You you cannot, <laughs> you cannot set the input voltage. You cannot read the output voltage. You can't tell me that this is six point seven two three five volts. It's not. It's six point <laughs> seven volts, give or take. And he'd mark you wrong, even though you wrote the exact numerically correct answer, because he was common sense based. Right. And that's the other thing I've tried to instill in you is just stay, take a step back and think about it. Apply some common sense. That fucking Dave Hattie in the back of my head while I'm building my server rack. You know, I, I, so the difference between you and me is I'm, I'm so quick. I, I just want things to get done. I, I want, I want to see the end product of whatever the project is. And you, you know, so Dave Hattie in the back of my head, as I'm, I'm putting the server rack together on the kitchen table, haste makes waste. And I'm like, fuck, okay, I got to stop. I got to think, you know, cause I was just throwing, throwing racks into the, you know, uh, or blades into the rack. And, and, uh, I was like, no, actually that's dumb. I need to, this needs to be here and this needs to be here. And, you know, you need to learn AutoCAD because what AutoCAD <laughs> does is slow you down and make you think about it. Draw what you want and it makes you think about it before you start, you know, twisting screwdrivers or spinning saws. That's true. That's true. I'll stick to my my modeling clay 
<laughs> Modeling play does the same thing. It's same, sl- in it fact, it's even slower thing. than AutoCAD. <laughs> right. Uh, man. No, it's it's true though. You know, you, it, the other Dave Hattieism in, in my head is uh, think two steps ahead, and and it's funny because just just uh, a, a month or two ago, I was I was with my team at work, and I'm going, guys, you you got to think two steps ahead. You guys are thinking so in the moment, and you're not thinking about the outcome or the outcome of that outcome, and. It, all of a sudden light bulbs were going off and I was like, holy shit, my dad would be high-fiving me right now. He'd be so happy. <laughs> yeah, I'm proud of you just sitting here hearing about it. Uh, oh my God, he was listening. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, man, I here's, here's what terrifies me. I was an asshole kid. I was absolutely an asshole kid. For every, every sweetheart fond memory we have of my childhood, there are 40 shitbag asshole Dick moves. And someday you're going to admit to me why one fender of my Shelby GT500 was lower than the other fender. <laughs> okay. And I know it involved girls' butts, okay? I know that. Okay, first off, it was your 03 Mustang Mach 1. Uh, and Oh, that's true. It was the Mach 1. You're right. There, There is no proof that could solidify your theory. That's all I'll say. <laughs> I don't need proof. I know what the answer is. <laughs> so how fast did you get the Mach 1? The Mach 1, I don't think I got it much over a buck and a quarter. Okay. Now, the Shelby GT, I got to 145, almost 150. So I I, I got your Mach 1 over, over 150. And it scared the ever-living shit out of me. Yeah, that was that was a fox body. That was thing was pretty tough. The the 08 GT 500 was the new frame, the new body, oh, the independent rear was down much and... better. Oh yeah, no, you're the 03 Mach one. It was floating. that would have been scary. It it okay. So uh, I don't know if I've ever shared this with you, but uh, statue of limitations has passed, and I'm yeah. Safe where distance. where did you do this? Hill Road in Waseca. So if you remember, I don't remember the name of the, 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 the highway. When you're coming out of Waseca and you come over that hill and you can turn and go towards uh, uh, like where the, the, the uh, Nyman's li- or not Nyman's, the Neilman's lived. Uh, and you turn, yeah, yeah, yeah. turn the other way and go yeah, towards yeah, the yeah. Cobleys. That's the same road I use with the GT 500. No, no, no. It's not that road. So if you, if you're coming out of Waseca towards the old house, north of town and you take a left and oh, oh, no, you're going you, a different way than I am. You go about a mile. Take and, a left by uh, Cobley's, where Cobley's lived. Right. So you go past, it's just past Cobley's house. There's a right-hand turn. And I can't remember yeah. if they called it Church Road or Hill Road, but it's this hilly but, fucking road. And, and it's it's four or five miles. Uh, just oh, straight. It's straight, but it's all hills. I mean, and I'm, yeah. I'm talking hills. Uh, so... There was there was a night that you you said yeah you can you can take the Mach one out just be careful and you know it was me and Kevin and Jake Lemon and we were just driving around you know Waseca we were doing the same thing we always do we drive up and down the street who was in the backseat uh, Kevin um, oh he was the shortest of the three yeah okay so there was a kid in town named Bobby Castle. Uh, and, and he, uh, he had come into some inheritance money and he had a Honda civic that was completely fast and the furious out. And, um, we were, we were in the McDonald's parking lot hanging out. We were talking to, you know, a bunch of the local kids and Bobby castle pulls up in his, his civic and he goes, 
man, that it's sad that you guys paid that much money for a, a slow ass car. And I was like, Oh, oh. those are fighting words. I was like, no, no, not going to let that fly. And I said, I'll, I'll race you anytime, anywhere. And he goes, well, let's go. And I was like, all right, fine. So all of a sudden it was like, it was truly a scene out of fast and the furious, except Wasika, Minnesota style, 30 cars leave the McDonald's parking lot. We all go to Hill road. We, we had two guys go all the way to the end of the road uh, to make sure that nobody was coming. And everybody else was where we had at the top of a hill, we decided we were going to race. And so, and thanks to uh, daddy Hattie, you all had cell phones. We all had cell phones. And um, so I did a couple of things you'd be proud of because in my moment of stupidity, I was smart enough to say, Kevin and Eric, or, uh, Kevin and Jake, get out of the car. You guys, yeah. you guys are going to go, you know, ride with uh, what's his name back to McDonald's. I'll, I'll tell you all about it. Uh, and then I looked at Bobby Castle and I said, I don't, I don't give a shit what the rules are. As long as I have the, 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 the driver's side of the road, you, you can drive in the wrong lane. I'm taking, I'm taking the right hand side. And he goes, I don't give a shit. I'll beat you either way. So, okay. So, uh, I'm, I'm sitting in your, your Mustang Mach one and you know, true grease style girl comes out and throws, throws hands. And I get so fucking caught up in the moment that I just drop the gas and I'm sitting there and I look over and Kevin, it was all in slow motion in my head. Kevin's going shift and I'm, I'm just <laughs> spinning the wheels, just spinning and spinning and spinning. And so I grab it, I throw it into second gear and I whoop, go and I immediately go smoking by him. And you know, they, they said they were going to go about a mile up the road. These motherfuckers went probably two miles up the road. This race just didn't fucking end. And so I'm, I'm walking through the gears, third, fourth. I look, I'm still, you know, a couple car lengths ahead of them. I, I prematurely shift from fourth to fifth and it bogs down a little bit. And now he starts walking up. And as we go past, I beat him, but I mean, I was doing probably a buck 55 and there was a point we came to the bottom of a hill right before the end. And it was, it started doing this number. And, and I, I got back to the McDonald's parking lot white as a ghost sweating profusely. And Kevin's like, dude, that was the coolest fucking thing ever. I was like, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> never. So, so yeah, if you had told me, if you had asked me about it before, I'd have said use fourth. Don't even <laughs> screw with this. Fifth is such a head. So in those cars, because of gas mileage, the whole uh, cafe fuel economy thing, corporate yeah. average fuel economy. Yeah. They made sixth such an over or fifth, such an overdrive. Just leave it in fourth and let it hum because it will not burn itself up in yeah. fourth gear. It will not. Right. But it'll go like a bat out of hell and Holy he'll shit. never catch you. Yeah. No, I. And if he does catch you, you just got to steer over a little bit and scare the <laughs> shit out of him. Why is there all this teal paint on the side of my Mach 1, Eric? <laughs> uh, it, it took me, it took, well, I was, I was out of college with the Magnum before I drag raced again. And it was at St. Louis motor speedways drag strip on a test and tune night. And even there in a controlled environment, I pulled up to the, the tree lights and, and got like cold sweats going back to what I felt. And there I knew it was only a quarter mile. The fastest I was going to go was maybe 110, 115 miles an hour, you know? Um, but it, that, talk about Hattie's having to learn the hard way that scared the ever living shit out of me. And, and I looked, it was funny. We were, we, we called it a night after that and, and driving back to our house with, with Jake and Kevin in the car, I turned and looked at them and I said, if you ever 
fucking say a word about this and it gets back to my dad, I swear to Christ, I will murder you. <laughs> Actually, so I we're, we're going a long time here, but another funny story. You traveled a ton. The Well, you were, you were commuting to Chicago at that point, uh, the, mm-hmm. the, the back half of high school, and you had this Mustang Mach 1 just sitting in the garage. And the rule was you have to ask me before you take the car. And, and I, I abided by that every time, but there were so many times that Kevin and little Eric and Jake were all hanging out at the house and we'd be out in the garage, just wrenching, wrenching on something. And even talking about, man, we should just take the mock. You would call my cell phone. And I was like, is this motherfucker? Like, is, are there cameras in here? Is he, is he listening to us? It was, it was every time you even thought about taking that car, you would call me. And I was like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, it was just uh sheer dumb luck. Subliminal connection. <laughs> oh. oh, I do miss that car. But I feel bad that you, uh, that you had a bad drag racing experience because <laughs> I grew up, so from the time I was 15 till we left Jackson, yeah, I drag raced all the damn time. Jesus. All the damn time. Well, yeah, but your guys' first cars, this is the thing that pisses me off about boomers more than anything, is your guys' first yeah, my cars. My first car was a 68 Cutlass 442. You guys well, my had... first car was a Land Cruiser, well, but the second sure. car was a... 68 Cutlass 442 that went like a bat out of hell. You go talk to anybody in their late fifties, early sixties into their seventies and you go, what's your first car? Oh, it was this Jaguar. Oh, it was this uh, 442. Oh, it was this Chevelle. Like, God damn it. My first car was a 92 Ford Explorer. Yeah. I didn't get a cool car till I was in my twenties. <laughs> you know, you guys, you guys just had it good. And and even if you didn't get a, 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 a true muscle car back then, it was so interchangeable. You could make it a muscle car. Yeah. Yeah, everything bolted to everything else. Yeah. God damn. Well, so I know that we are are well past Daddy Hattie bedtime. Uh we Well, but but there's one key question here. What you got? Did we start at eight o'clock sharp? No. No, we started we started about eight, ten, eight fifteen. Okay, so we got to go a little longer because I haven't passed Kyle yet. So we're at nine fifty-three. I got to pass Kyle. I can't stop until I pass Kyle. Well, so let's uh, let's go look through the notes here. Uh, did we cover everything on the the uh, syllabus? Um, so, uh, oh, starting a consulting business. So I, I think I already know the answer to this, but you you have had a consulting business uh, in some capacity for the better part of a decade. Um, yeah. What, what would you tell people is the key to running a consulting firm and, and making it continue over that period of time? So the, the, so the two things I would say, one is particularly for those of us who are operationally focused, you've got to set aside time and focus on sales and marketing because if you're not selling yourself, then the next one doesn't happen. Yep. So as you know, last week I got a surprise that uh, that the utility I was working with because of all the, uh, the, the economic implications of the virus yeah. has shut down the project we were working on. Yep. Well, the good news is I've been working on several other programs and marketing myself and it looks like one of them is coming to fruition and I'm meeting with a guy tomorrow uh, right after lunch um, <laughs> at remarkably a uh, cigar pipe and wine and liquor bar. There you go. 
to uh, to hopefully close a deal to do a few months worth of work for them. So you just got to keep selling yourself all the time and lay aside time to do marketing and sales. The other thing I would say is focus on your network and focus on your experiences because when you, and LinkedIn is a great tool for the business network side of things. Sure. But um, before that we had Rolodexes and Outlook contact lists, but looking back at all the people I know, a lot of them have also retired or, you know, died or hung up the, the, the hat. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of folks I know who are still out there who need help. Right. And um, my, uh, my secret weapon, which works a lot of the time, sometimes it's a pain in the ass and doesn't work, is I'm not looking for a full-time position. I'll work part-time. Right. right. So you can bring me on. You can get 40 years of experience and... Uh, in all the aspects of business without paying a fortune because I'm not looking for a full-time position. A full-time position, you have to pay me half a million bucks. I'd <laughs> uh, be in my favor. Right. But on a part-time basis, you can pay me a nice salary and or a nice uh, hourly, and I'm, I'm good with that, and you're good with that, and right. you can afford it, and life goes on. That's, you know, so it, the answer I was expecting was, you know, have, have that network, that Rolodex of people who you've, you've come across and you know, and you've worked with and that you've impressed. Um, and, and, you know, you know, when, when, uh, when edge media went bankrupt and I was here in Texas without a job, I, my stupid ass at 20 something years old said, I'm going to start a consulting company. And that was the key component, uh, that I didn't have. So, you know, in a previous episode, so there's a gentleman I interviewed, uh, Greg Rankin and, and we were, we were talking about, he, he runs a, a very successful consulting firm and I shared, you know, Hey, I had this consulting firm. It lasted maybe a year and I, I sold off my, my share to my partner and, and walked away because it just, it wasn't getting anywhere. There was two things. One, I didn't have that Rolodex of people in the Rolodex of people I did have wasn't really the target market I was looking for in my consulting. I was looking to make small mom and pop chains of Verizon stores run like the big conglomerates and that's a very narrow, you know, uh, target market. So, uh, it's, it's certainly probably a lot easier after 40 years of experience to just start going through the Rolodex and, and finding work. So, yeah, much easier. And the other thing is all the, all the experiences you've had, all the knowledge you have all comes to play. Right. Because at this point in life, you know, I'm not hung up on being the CEO. Right. And so one of the things that I've gotten a lot of, of billable time out of is the FCC has gone crazy and decided to allow unlicensed use of the six gigahertz microwave band. Oh my God. Which is going to take utility and public safety microwave systems out of, out of whack. Right. And so I've gotten a lot of billable time out of helping utilities quantify that. Right. Well, part of it is, I'm actually back running engineering programs and, and, uh, um, doing the, you know, the analysis that says, here's what's going to happen. Right. And two things. One is I know how to do it, so I can do it. Right. Two is, you know, when you got as much gray hair as I have, nobody argues with you. I can say <laughs> shit that's only half true. And I say it forcibly and people don't argue with you because, you know, Look at him. Shit. He's got like 50 <laughs> years experience. No, that's fair. That's fair. How much, how much of that, you know, so 
I mean, shit. I remember, you know, even, even as a small kid, your, your engineering was, you know, punch card, uh, you know, computing and, you know, a lot of handwritten manual calculations and things like that. How much of that is now computerized in when you're, oh, it's, it's all computerized. I was going to say the, the, the joy of it is I know how to do it with paper and pencil. Right. And so when I get the opportunity to do it with an automated program, I know how to work the assumptions and how to work the variables in the automated program to get the, the right answer out because I know how to do it manually. And one of the things that I've learned over the past five years is open source right. has created, I mean, I, I still have a, a semi-legitimate copy of AutoCAD, but everything else I do is open source. Right. So I'm running an open source uh, graphic information system that lets me, for the client I was just working with, they needed to know how much population and how much uh, geographic area was covered in each county right. and by their, by their uh, operating area. And all these guys are telling them, oh, this is going to take forever and we don't know how to do that. I used to do map info. 30 years ago with this shit. <laughs> so I went looking and I found QGIS right. or, or, or QGIS. I guess they don't like it when you call it QGIS because it sounds pornographic. But, <laughs> but I found QGIS, which is a, a, an open source program that basically looks like map info. Right. And so in the course of less than a week, I took all this information, boiled it through a graphic information system, did all the intersections and the unions and the analysis and gave them all their answers and some pretty graphics. Right. And they, I mean, they basically crapped their pants. <laughs> the only thing I did wrong is I should have let it go for two weeks. I should have done it in one right. week and then let it sit for a week and then build them for two weeks, but I didn't. But Hatties are honest people, God damn it. <laughs> we are honest people. Too honest, damn it. Well, that's, but you know, that's funny. That's the problem with fucking nerds is nerds don't care about monetizing. And to be honest, yeah. Well, no, no, not just honest. They don't want to monetize anything. That's why open source is such a, you know, nerds nerds are like, hey, I made this. I'm going to share it with the world. And I'm like, you could make money off that. So so back when I was in business school, you know, this was the early days of MathLive. Right. Or MathLab. MathLab, MathLive, I forget which it's called. But anyhow, you could do all the statistics in there. Well, I just had a, a client say, geez, you know, we need to somehow figure out this, uh, this ITU propagation crap and it's all in mathematics and we don't know how to automate it. I went looking and there's an open source called Octave. It's basically MATLAB. And actually I found the, uh, I found the ITU algorithms in source code for MATLAB, <laughs> pulled them into Octave and it ran. No shit. So, so yeah, this this little piece of shit laptop I'm talking to you on <laughs> actually has a uh, a, uh, a Windows 10 Linux uh, operating system plugin application, and I'm running. Uh, oh crap! Now I gotta go click on it to see what I'm running. <laughs> I'm running the Ubuntu 18.04. No shit. Linux system and all this open source runs under Ubuntu and it works great. And I'm just using, I'm using my computer knowledge as being an IT guy for the last 50 years. Right. And my mathematical knowledge from being an engineer 
and all my practical knowledge from having done this shit. And I started out doing this stuff on topographical maps with a, a clear rule and a slide rule. And we, <laughs> you know, measure stuff on the clear ruler and we plug it into our slide rule and figure out that's what it consumers power. That's how we started. We did everything on a slide rule with, uh, with topographical maps. Jesus. There now was... I can do it all on this damn computer. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Uh, when, when we lived at the, the house on the lake, um, that I, I think it was the summer I was, I was home, uh, between college. Um, you had that three com VoIP system that you had wired into the house and mm-hmm. you, you put it in that storage room, which is also where the beer and soda fridge was. And yep. so Kevin and, and little Eric and Jake and I are all hanging out in, in my room, which was directly across the hall. And Kevin, yeah. Kevin went to go grab a soda and he came back in and he just looked perplexed. And I was like, what's up? And he goes, your dad is sitting in there on a computer using Linux. And I was like, and, and he goes, I thought Linux was cool. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he, he it thought, is cool. It, well, yeah, I mean, uh, and I'm cool. <laughs> so there. Oh, man. So uh, good news. You have successfully surpassed Mr. Bennett. Uh, You're sure time. you we well, don't have to go another five minutes just on. to make damn sure. Hold on. Let me where the fuck is my doc? All right, hold on. You know, I'm struggling to stay awake, right? I, I know. Normally you're, you're sawing logs, uh, on the, uh, on the recliner about three hours ago. Um, so let's hear it. Let, we'll go to my studio. YouTube. I thought you did this on purpose that you knew I fall asleep at eight o'clock. So you started this at eight o'clock <laughs> just to you know, kind of goad me. No, I'm, I'm not that mean. Um, wow. It is my, oh man, this is bogging my video down. Uh, he's one hour, 54 minutes and you're at, you're at two Oh five. And we, we had a couple minutes of buffer in there. So we, I, I will. Oh, and that's with my intro too. So, uh, you're, you're good. We're, we're going to serve. I'll, if, if nothing else, I'll, I'll, I'll really drag out my intro by you some time. <laughs> so what kind of intro are you going to put on this? Uh, so I am absolutely, so it's, it's going to be this, this very mushy heartfelt. I love my dad and he's the greatest thing ever. And my dad's cooler than your dad, but I'm also going to share, uh, your response to my syllabus, uh, that, that I sent over to you of talking points. So don't, don't, (laughs) don't give it away now because so I'm, I'm in a, I'm in a chat group with, uh, some folks that I work with and, and I took a screenshot of that and I sent it to him and I said, tonight's interview is going to be interesting. And they're like, holy shit, it's an older you. This is why you're you. I get it. <laughs> so, uh, well, is your audience mature enough to understand Steve Martin quotes? Ah, uh, you know, uh, it's, if, it's a 50, 50 split. If they don't get Steve Martin quotes, then I'm going to be completely lost. on them. <laughs> they're just going to think you're racist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> My, for the record, internet, my dad is not racist, I promise. Uh, <laughs> but he does believe that women should be placed on a pedestal. That's, that's just right. Just high enough to see up their dress. Oh, Jesus Christ. Now I got to, now I got to edit. This is. <laughs> so dad. Well, I, I left out the, I was born a poor black child part. Well, so I'm, I'm going to, that's, yeah, I was going to read that out loud in my intro, but 
if anybody makes it this far in the video, then they're going to get double hit of it. And, and they're going to, they're going to chuckle and know what the fuck we were talking about. So, uh, let's So you, you've watched my podcast. So, you know, that there's, there's outro music. Um, so, and, and there's a, there's a, a catchy tagline. Um, but, uh, before well, I hope you change the music to Led Zeppelin for me, <laughs> uh, YouTube doesn't like that. They'll, they'll, they'll tear that shit. Uh, so oh, even, yeah. Good point. even just this, this music that I've sampled and cut and spliced together and taken a bunch of things and made it my own. It's been a fight with universal music group just to, to keep that one alive. They, uh, on Facebook, especially it immediately gets pulled down every time I upload a video. So YouTube's been a little more forgiving on that one. But yeah, if I put Zeppelin on there, man, I'd be gone in a heartbeat. You'd be gone. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll, I'll say this, uh, a happy father's day. You are, you are truly a badass motherfucking dad. Um, thank you. B thank you for making me who I am today. Uh, you've, you've made me, like I said, uh, uh, you've made me an honest person with a good head on my shoulders and a good professional and always wanting more, but always being family man first. And, and thank you on from bottom of my heart. Thank you so much. So you're very welcome. And son, just know that I'm more proud of you than I ever thought I ever could be. I'm just so proud of you. You know, for a split second, I thought you were going to say, I'm more proud of you than Samantha. And I got so fucking excited. <laughs> Your mom tells me I have to be net neutrality. Oh, bullshit. You know, everyone's got a favorite kid. It's okay. You can tell me who it is. Uh, I probably shouldn't. <laughs> you, you don't want to see me cry, do you? Uh, I don't want to see you cry. <laughs> oh, man. So, uh, thank you, Dad. I, I appreciate you. Uh, is, there, is there anything you want to plug before we go? What's, what's the name of your consulting business? Driven Horizons is the name of my consulting business. We're on LinkedIn. We're on the web. Yep. Um, geez, I can't think of anything left to plug. There's got to be a few more embarrassing stories we haven't told yet. Well, we're running out of tape, folks. Uh, we're going to have to wrap it up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. All right. Well, dad, thank you so much. Uh, it, you know, if, uh, if you, if you guys want check out driven, uh, uh, driven horizons, uh, from an operational standpoint for a startup business, for a business of any size or level, uh, my, my dad's, uh, uh, knowledge and experience and, and insight can, can take it to the next level. And that's, that is nepotism to the core, but I truly believe it because he made me and, uh, I'm, I'm constantly driving and, and pushing for better. So with that being said, I'm Eric Hattie. That's my dad, David Hattie. This is everyday hustle. And I promise the next one won't suck. Thanks bud. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.